0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures.
1: Here at Tabletop Journeys, we're all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules of D&D, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes the campaign legendary.
2: Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Tabletop Journeys. So today, we are going to continue with the work that we did a couple of weeks ago, where we broke apart all of the subclasses that are in the Rogue class. Today, we're going to start with the Rangers. And before we get into the actual subclasses themselves, there are several things that we want to say about the Ranger class. I don't think that any of them are going to be unique to anybody that has played 5th Edition, because... I think that it is easy to say that in 5th edition, rules as written, the Ranger class has been considered poorly constructed, and especially when you consider where the Ranger class came from earlier editions of Dungeons & Dragons.
0: The Ranger in 3rd edition and 3.5 was an amazing class. It was actually one of my absolute favorites. I played it frequently, often, all the time, as often as I possibly could. It was a lot of fun. It was very exciting. Second edition, it was a powerful class. It just got the job done. Between yeah. those two editions, that is the history of the Ranger that we came up with, and we were woefully disappointed with where the Ranger is at the start of fifth edition.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that a lot of people forget or didn't even weren't even aware of in first and second edition Dungeons & Dragons is that not only did Rangers get more hit dice than anybody else. In in 1st edition, they could get up to 11 hit dice versus the maximum of 9 for any other class in 1st edition. But then in 2nd edition, they doubled down on that and they brought their hit dice from a D8 to a D10. So at least in 1st edition, that used to be somewhat of a mitigating factor where, sure, they got more hit dice, but they only got a D8 instead of a D10. In 2nd edition, not only did they get more hit dice, but they also got D10s just like Paladins and Fighters. And then even in 3rd edition, where Rangers always had this sort of secondary tier spell ability. In 3rd edition, they were made probably even more powerful because you could get more favorite enemies than you could in 2nd edition. You were no longer pigeonholed into picking a favorite enemy at at level 1, and that was your favorite enemy forever. But you also were able to learn more powerful spells and you started being able to use them earlier. In in 1st and 2nd edition, I think it was like 5th level or 6th level before you could actually start casting spells as a ranger, but it certainly wasn't 1st level. And in 3rd edition, you could gain them as early as 3rd level. They just kind of kept getting more powerful. By the time you got to 4th edition, this is really where some of the major changes started coming up, where they would fill sort of that striker role on any particular team, single target damage but super mobile. So their entire kind of ethos was to go in, strike a target and then get out, almost like you would see in some of the like it almost like you would see in the Swashbuckler now. Same thing kind of with the Rangers in 4th edition. And it was in 5th edition and where the major split between what a ranger was in earlier editions and what they are now came about. And the biggest change was that they started dividing ranger archetypes into those which are combat-based and those which are natural-based. No longer could you really have a ranger that had both advanced combat abilities and animal companions or the best spells and stuff like that. They really started dividing that out to the point that it's now considered one of the weakest classes in the game. I think it's important
0: to note that the history of the ranger and where we are as we look at the subclasses and how we intend to rank them. There's some criteria that we're going to go into. It's very consistent with how we rank all of our subclasses, but it is important to note that we are ranking the subclasses versus each other, not other subclasses. Uh, And that's important for a lot of reasons. Any subclass has the opportunity to be very good in the absolute perfect game with the correct DM, with a player who knows what they're doing or knows what they're doing with that particular subclass. So ranking it versus another subclass is not terribly instructive. So we're avoiding that, and we're really looking at four different areas. One, the mechanics of the subclasses. How do they work? How do they support combat mechanics? How do they support exploration mechanics? How do they support role play mechanics? We are looking at the flavor. What is it about the subclass that makes this ranger different than other rangers? And how well does that come across? Like, is it strong? Do we feel like if we're this, there's no way we could be confused with anything else. We also look at the wild card factor. What is it about this class positively or negatively that really jumps out at us? In some cases with some of these classes, these wild cards are going to drop the score. They're going to drop how we feel about them because it's important to note that we're looking at kind of, you know, what is it? What is this subclass actually doing here? Uh, What is it actually accomplishing and if it's accomplishing anything? And finally, we're ranking these based on whether or not we've played them before
2: and how badly we want to play them in the future. So let's dive in. We're going to start like we did with the rogues and go in the order that the subclass appeared in the books. And so we're going to start with the player's handbook.
1: Uh, that episode was great, by the way. If anybody out there hasn't listened to it yet, check out the rogue, sub, the rogue subclasses. It was a good time. They did a great job breaking it down.
2: Well, thank you very much, Glenn. So we're gonna go ahead and start with the beastmaster, and we I think that it's, the I have to start with
1: the beastmaster. Have to start with the
2: beastmaster because it's really the bottom of the barrel. This this subclass is 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 pretty awful. So broken. Um, it's to use the so,
0: vernacular of the day, this subclass is trash.
2: Yeah, it really is it's trash um tasha's tried to make it better and i think that there is a lot to be said about how tasha's treated ranger subclasses in general tasha's brought a lot of ranger content to canon the fighting styles were really good i thought that that primeval awareness from the player's handbook was better than primal awareness from Tasha's. But I do like how they took the ranger ethos and made it closer to a druid in some of the ways that it goes about things. I think that that is a better constructed mechanical way of viewing how the ranger does things. You can't polish the turd that is the beast master. Like the, the mechanics are weak. Oh. This is really kind of the first thing that divided the ranger into something that was either a good hunter or or a creature that had an animal companion. And I thought that that was a bad choice right from the get-go. Lee Waniko, what do you think?
0: I think there are significant flaws with this subclass. And those flaws really begin at concept. I think in the decision to decide what is the core of a ranger and what are elements of a kind of ranger, creators made a misstep here. I never consider the Beastmaster to be a kind of ranger. I simply consider the Beastmaster to be a ranger. And I think that, by concept, is why this subclass fails. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing about this that says this is special. In fact, everything about this should just be a ranger. And along with that, there are just mechanical flaws. The action economy is all off with this class. If you're at a point where your character has to decide, do I act and do an average of 10 points of damage or 12 points of damage, or do I have what's supposed to be the coolest feature I have, my creature, do the damage, and that is 4 damage or 6 damage, why are you even having the companion act? Worse than that, if the companion never scales with you, doesn't
2: get better hit points. It's it's like 11th level when you as a ranger can finally compel your animal companion to take a second attack, even if your animal companion is an animal race that has more than one attack natively. Even in that circumstance,
0: you still have to use one of your attacks to do it. It is bizarre that a character who's so naturally inclined and can train and teach and commune with this creature can't preset some abilities so he's not losing his action economy in a
1: combat. so... For my take on the ranger specifically the Beastmaster, not going to sugarcoat it the subclass sucks and you're hitting on the i mean the main thing the quintessential image of a ranger like back in the day was that guy with his pet and his bow you know he was the original outlander even before he was a barbarian so to take that pet make it one of your class features but then you can't even use it like you could a fully trained animal i mean just take a hot second for pretending to be real how hard would it be to train an animal to attack where your arrows are impacting so it at least attacks the target you're attacking? But they set it up so you have to use your action to make him attack? That That's lame. I, I think yep. it was an overcorrection. I think there was
0: reasonable concern in the waning days of 3.5 that rangers were lewd. They really were. If you were looking to multi-class in 3.5, you threw in some Ranger because that was a way to get some additional hit points, get some really cool strikes, right. and if you hang out, hung on there long enough, some pretty impressive spells right off the rip. I think that uh, it, it, it is important to note that they were trying to fix it from being OP, and they way overcorrected. They overcorrected to the point where it is, quite honestly, I think there are there are sidekicks that are more impressive than what a Beastmaster can.
2: I think we have kicked the dead horse enough on this one. I think categorically all of us rank the Beastmaster as the worst of the subclasses, right? Yes. The next one that was in the player's handbook was my biggest surprise of this this exercise, and that's the hunter. Now, Liwanika, you and I disagreed a little bit in our rankings on here. I was actually pleasantly surprised with how the mechanics started for the hunter. What I didn't like was how the subclass features fell into this dichotomy where at one level you get offensive features and then four levels later you get defensive features. And then four levels later you get offensive features again and then you get defensive features at the end. Like they already have that fighting style. They didn't need to do it again in the subclass even when you break out some of the individual abilities, like at, at 11th level, when you get Volley versus Whirlwind attack, I'm not sure that the Whirlwind fighting style necessarily matches the Ranger aesthetic for one, and the Volley is significantly more powerful because the Volley allows you to go ahead and attack any creature that's within 10 feet of one point versus the Whirlwind attack that only allows you to attack creatures that are within five feet of where you are. The Volley basically gives you twice as many targets that you can hit in a single round. Like it's the, So that's pretty powerful.
0: Well, so here's where I made the argument that I think the scaling is a bit off. Depending on what you're doing for damage, especially if you're doing volley, your damage, unless you're using magic weapons and having a bunch of different add-ons to your damage, is not going to scale very well at the level they give you that ability. That's fair. Because that is a type of mechanic that benefits hitting minions horde of bad guys, and one boss come at you, that ability isn't going to take out a big boss at the level you get that ability well. But it will clear lower-level minions. So I think it's an ability that you get too late to be useful, therefore ineffective, and not really part of my calculation other than, meh, I think it's good, but I just don't think it's useful at the level you get it. Part of that comes back to where I feel the hunter class is. And I play a hunter. So I like it, and as far as the original Ranger class, it is clearly superior. And I rank it relatively middle-of-the-road as a general rule because I think there are elements that are really cool. There are just other elements that miss the mark, such as that one. I like all of the choices, but I think you really quickly get pigeonholed into doing a specific set of choices, almost like a feat tree, but not necessarily in a positive way. And yep. so you're only going to be one kind of hunter. So you're not going to be able to switch between doing melee attacks and range attacks. You're either going to be very good at the at the melee or you're going to be very good at the range. And I think that's an important factor to keep in mind as you build a character for this. You really want to choose a fighting style that supports the features that you take. Because if you juxtapose those, you yep. will be great at nothing and average to below average at everything. And And because everything you get is also below what you need it to be at higher levels anyway, because they don't scale well, you are going to be average to below average and only getting worse as time progresses, as opposed to starting off really well or to to good. And even as things progress, you'll at least have impact, even though you will no longer in the later levels be a truly impactful part of the party.
1: So for the Hunter subclass, I can get behind it. Um, I'm all about, you know, flavor and what I can do to bring my flavor of my character to the game, even if I have to invent some of it on my own. But the Hunter is a solid representation of what the what the Ranger's supposed to be. Uh, it could be fun to play, and while it is a little bit short on the uh, actual I'm a Hunter part of its flavor, I can add that on my own. So I can get behind it. It's a, it's a, it's a decent subclass. I could have fun playing it.
0: I, I enjoy the character that I play. I I feel that mechanically it can be weak, so I choose to make up for that in the role play. Like I made up yeah, flavor. Play play yeah. I made up for that in the skill choices I made, with the background choices I made, to really cover the ground. So I am useful for the party in the exploration element that has nothing to do with class. I did that all out of the background and the skill choices versus yeah. the subclass features. And which I think is odd because Hunter is evocative. There should be flavor that is I'm tracking down my enemy.
1: You know, yeah, I agree Hunt, with you. I didn't have quite enough of yeah. that yeah. piece.
0: Hunter's mark needs to be a feature that you just get to use. It mm-hmm. uh, you, you know um, you get to use that a uh, number of times, a number of times per whatever the mark you want to make it uh, per short rest or per long rest, however you want to do it. Hunter's mark needs to be a part of it. You need to be able to be the the, the person who gets their target. That's what it needs to be, and I think that's what's missing.
2: Let me toss this out a little bit here, because looking at this subclass, and Maybe this is because I was just working through this episode earlier today, but this subclass struck me as how I perceive how Hawkeye was in the Marvel movies. the The subclass is called Hunter, but I don't view this subclass, at least at, uh, rules as written, does not have those natural tracking abilities. It's more just the like the Dread Killer from Beyond. That's kind of how it how it sounded. How it sounded to me so it's like i didn't get too caught up in the fact that the name is the hunter <laughs> yep. um maybe I should.
1: monster hunter
2: yeah yeah exactly uh, right i, I think Except you're
1: right got monster slayer in a minute
2: yeah so. I, I i think
0: you're right i think uh part of my hang up with this particular subclass is the name doesn't match what it does yep. uh, i think this could have been listed as glenn said the sniper but it's not the expert tracker. It's not the sharpshooter. Sharpshooter. Yeah. Even, there are a number of things that could have been called. None of them are hunter, and yeah. and I think that's problematic. And I think even in the features, if you look at the feature options, I don't. N- n- none of them scream hunter to me. And I think that's the
1: biggest challenge with this. We probably beat the poor hunter subclass to death, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, we yeah. did. Let's, let's move away from the player's handbook then and start talking about the, the three subclasses that are featured in Xanathars. The first one that's listed is a subclass that we want to talk about how subclasses were getting pigeonholed into particular roles or into particular progressions. The Gloomstalker is a subclass that is virtually useless unless you are in the Underdark. That, ran- that ranger is just not going to be effective outside of the Underdark. I think that somebody who starts a Gloomstalker is really going to benefit from the new rule in Tasha's that allows them to switch their archetype as it progresses if the campaign changes to the fact that they realize that this subclass is not being effective.
0: I think they absolutely will. Uh, an interesting thing that I learned when researching this episode was that that archetype switch only happens on a level where you get an archetypal feature. Yeah. So 3, 7, 11, and 15. And because of that, while it, they will benefit from that, it still doesn't happen terribly often. And if you consider the fact that most campaigns don't go beyond 10, that's two shots to, get this, to figure this out and get it right. Yep. And one of those shots doesn't even count because that's when you first pick the feature which means you're going to play the bulk of the game in a subclass that is less effective if you're in a game where it would be less effective before you even have the opportunity, by rule, to change it. I think the Gloomstalker is an amazing class. I think it has flavor, it has mechanics, it's fun for players and the party as a whole. My biggest hang-up with this one is just that what Josh said. It really only works in a very specific and select type of game. So if you have a DM that's not doing a lot of night encounters, Gloomstalker's kind of left out. If you're not in the Underdark, Gloomstalker's left out. If your adventures are all broad daylight
2: out in the open, Gloomstalker is less effective. A Gloomstalker is a fantastic NPC.
1: Yes. They can be a really amazing player class, too, if you're running an Underdark campaign. But that's the downside of creating a class or a subclass that is so environment-based. You know, like, if you create a character class, a playable character class, that is designed to explore the elemental plane of fire. Okay, but what are you going to do with him when you're not on the elemental plane of fire? If you're not in the Underdark, what does this guy do? Yep. Yep. Definitely.
0: So, moving on from the Gloomstalker, who we all like, but we see its limitations i will say i ranked it higher because i've had players in my games play them to great effect as a oh, DM. i could
1: own it if i played in an underdark campaign and like come up with a gritty personality
0: yeah. i mean they are the ranger edge lord. i found as a dm that to give him his moments to shine i had to really structure where my adventures took place so i had to have lots of night encounters i had to have deep forest encounters. I did add in a couple cavern environment encounters, so he always had his moments, uh, or he had the opportunity for his moments, and other moments where he was just okay. I had the benefit of having a fantastic player play the Gloomstalker in my game. Even though he doesn't play in that game currently, uh, he still actually pops in, updates his character as the rest of the party levels, so he makes fantastic NPC reappearances
2: from time to time.
0: But moving on, we move on to the next... Uh, Xanathar's ranger, which is the Horizon Walker.
2: When I read through this subclass, uh, my big question was, what do any of this subclass's abilities have anything to do with being a ranger?
0: I wish I had an answer for you, because <laughs> I know...
2: Wow. You don't. Yeah. Wow. No.
0: Because... And, and I say this on this podcast quite often, Josh, this is the section of the podcast where my job is to politely disagree with you and provide an alternate point of view. This is not one of those moments.
2: Um, <laughs> I mean, it is, it, it's a character that's exceptionally limited in scope. Again, just like the Gloomstalker, the powers are controlled so that you only get them once per rest. I mean, I know that we're not talking about this class as a whole versus other classes, but... There is something to be said for consistency across the game. And other classes get abilities tied to their proficiency bonus. So this class has got limited abilities that they can't use very often. And none of the abilities that they've got are ranger abilities. Yeah. So interesting
0: that you bring that up. So I play in a game where one of our NPCs is a horizon walker. And I have been impressed with what the Horizon Walker does or has the ability to do in our game. And I'm looking forward to that Horizon Walker getting some of the higher level abilities as we go. Uh, Currently, that character does not have them, uh, but I'm really looking forward to them. Among them, the spell list. The Horizon Walker spell list is amazing, right? Some of those abilities are amazing, so much so that it is definitely and definitively a character subclass that I would enjoy playing at some point. But if it's not in the hands of a good DM, it's going to be a character that will not shine. It will be a character who has a neat ability every now and then that really doesn't go anywhere. The spell list is great, but things come online later because the way uh, Ranger spell, spell casting is handled. The mechanics yep. are great and flavorful to what the Horizon Walker is supposed to be. But again, it's a situation where... Some of the abilities come on a little late, late enough where most games don't run that long, and when they run that long, are they really going to be that useful in that moment? Um, with the exception of Misty Step and some of those abilities, some of these won't be great. Haste is awesome, no matter when you are, but when you get it, but and when you get it will be a very nice addition to your, to you and your team, but it's fairly late in the game. The ability to mitigate damage, which is the capstone feature, is extremely late in the game. So late in the game as, as cool as it is, how long are you actually going to use it? And therefore, if you're not going to use it more than once, how cool is that feature in actuality?
1: Right. And for me, I mean, the Horizon Walker's got his cool points, but I agree it's not really a Ranger. I get what they're trying to do like rangers are masters of their environment you know they're the original zero carbon footprint leave no trace people and they got all these different environments in D&D, like the underdark and the outer planes i mentioned the plane of fire earlier and the horizon walker they're trying to create a ranger that walks that crazy variable environment and it could be super cool but again only if you're in the hands of a good dm or running in a game that's specializing in spending time in the outer planes or the inner planes
2: no, I I understand what you're saying, Luanika, about the fact that haste is a good ability to have, and that rangers are not a primary spell caster. As a ranger, as a I will get haste at ninth level. It's a third level spell, so your wizard will get it at fifth level. That's a huge difference between the two. And and Glenn, to your point, uh, you're absolutely right. You know they are they're trying to make these highly specialized rangers where they used to have like a favored environment um, and that kind of locked them into kind of that. And that was, again, something that they had to decide early on in your progression. Um, And they're trying to go ahead and say, well, instead of having to pick a favorite environment, you can pick one of these archetypes and look at this. We're basically picking your favorite environment for you. But man, they're just making the scope on them so limited uh, to make them virtually unusable. I
0: played in an Adventure League background, right? I, I learned 5e through Adventure League i would literally have to pick a ranger for different adventure league episodes i could not play one of these rangers through all of them and be effective and fulfilled right there are some that i could be fulfilled in there's some that i could be effective in but they would not necessarily be the same ones and they certainly wouldn't be everyone that i went to if i just started going to random Uh, eventually tables now perhaps if i was playing descent into avernus then i then the horizon walker would be a great ranger to play perhaps if i was playing out of the abyss it might be a good one to play if i was playing something to do you know uh in the under one of the underdark adventures or modules if I was playing Dungeon of the Mad Mage, then perhaps the Gloomstalker might come in because you're, you're in the Underdark. You're, you would be in a situation where at least you would have the kind of darkness and the types of situations that a Gloomstalker would work for. So I think the, your point is well made that the problem with many of these subclasses is the same. They are too specific and therefore not useful everywhere. And in a good or well-constructed campaign,
2: you need to touch on lots of things. Yep. And not just that, but let's look at their most recent books, right? Uh, if you're in Icewind Dale, which ranger do you pick? I don't think any of them are good. I don't think any of them work.
0: I, so,
1: from a mechanic standpoint, not really.
0: Yeah. From a mechanic standpoint, I would say the hunter is the only one, that, or perhaps, oddly, right. the, the beastmaster would be, because you could pick, I don't know, your own tauntaun or something, and and that would be the only way to make it through.
2: So now that I have led you down this Primrose path, I will tell you which one you go ahead and pick, and that was my favorite of the subclasses in the Ranger list, and it's the Monster Slayer. If you're in Icewind Dale, the Monster Slayer is the one that you want, because that is the Van Helsing style, super specialized, has the tools to do the job, no matter what the job is that he's being asked to do this is the Ranger that you want to go ahead and use. And this, I could not wait to play this. This was, uh, of all the subclasses in the Ranger class, this was the one that I ranked top of the list. Um, and it was specifically because of how strong its it spell class, I thought, made, uh, it, its uh, expanded spell list made a lot more sense than some of the other ones uh, that were in Xanathar's. And boy, the narrative and the flavor of this sub of this subclass are fabulous.
1: That's pretty much all I got to say on that. That's exactly right. I love the flavor of this one. Mechanically, you can still struggle a little bit, but if I were to pick a Ranger subclass, this would be the one I'd play.
0: So I listed this one somewhere midland of the road, lower than midland, depending on the specific thing we we're looking at. But I agree with you. Its flavor is its strong point. I love the concept of it. And interestingly enough, some of the things that I homebrew about my, my, my monsters, my characters, my situations are things that have to do with ways to gain advantages mechanically or otherwise, methods to kill monster X, Y, or Z. So this particular class fits perfectly into that game. But guess what? This again falls into how does your DM run it? Since yeah, most of the monsters, in the, monsters in, in the monster manual and in most modules do not have a quote-unquote specific weakness other than, oh, they're resistant to fire or they're vulnerable to silver or something weak sauce like that. The reality is is the main and primary feature that a lot is built off of with the subclass is effectively useless if you don't have a DM that really structures their game correctly. So in a similar vein than the other subclasses we reviewed that are very specific to the type of campaign or the type of environment. This is skewed towards a specific style of play and style of DM, because in the hands of a lesser experienced DM, and that's not a slight, that's just a fact, right? Coming up with neat little things that they're weak on or neat little things that will cause them to pause in combat that you can take advantage of, or knowing how to identify the missing scale on smog or whatever the case may be. This is an ability that is largely, D- up to dm fiat
1: and while i get what you're saying i kind of disagree and the main reason there is i don't completely by the way because any storyteller needs to be plumbing their story and filling it with what the players need but you got to choose a class that you can play and that's part of why i like the monster slayer and i love josh's analogy to van helsing and it's because it has such a broad scope of application in my opinion i don't care what kind of campaign you play i could play the Monster Hunter and play the crap out of it and have a good time, even if the DM doesn't give me the great stuff uh, to really make me shine, because Van Helsing will chase his prey through urban environments, across Mm -hmm. countrysides, into the Underdark, or the Outer Plains, if he has to, to take them down. And you just gotta be badass and throw out one-liners as you go, and you'll have a great time.
2: I have another analogy, and actually, uh, Glenn, this goes to something that you said, I think, uh, uh, during off time between episodes here, but you were talking about a seafaring-based ranger subclass. So the the Monster Hunter is Van Helsing. It's also Ahab.
1: Fair enough. The Monster Hunter could serve that role with just a little bit of flavor change. I don't need to reinvent the wheel, do I? Nope. No, not at you all. So smart. I'm sorry that's that funny.
0: I jumped in there early. <laughs> that's no, no, no. That, that's brilliant. I and and kudos to Melville for putting out a book that I still love. Because um, <laughs> I can I can go back to that book at any time and just read a chapter or 14 just because it's worth reading a chapter or 14. But um, honestly, I like the class a lot. I just feel that maybe it's because of that adventure league background is both a positive and a negative, right? That right. there are a number of games where there I've been in where DMs would not do that. The right. DMs that I am currently playing with, where I'm the player and they're the DMs, they would handle this class amazingly well. Right. And that's you would not- as well. Yeah, that is not me just blowing smoke so I can get some kudos. I'm not playing one of these right now, but the fact is, is the DMs that I'm playing with currently uh, and one that I'm hoping to play with sometime soon, uh, just from the two um, games that I've watched or the one game that I watched as we're recording this episode just yesterday, in fact, I know that they will change this because that DM has a rich homebrew world and she got into the ghost type things and ghost motivations and that type of thing that this would be impressive for unfortunately they already have their ranger i can't play that otherwise based on this conversation and what i witnessed i would be all over playing a ranger in that game because i could see how this particular subclass would rock the world quite honestly it would even change my rating thanks guys because I think part of the exercise of ranking classes is to learn more about each of the classes and gain different perspectives, and I could definitely see this. I don't think it would be my top because the ones that are my top are my top for a very specific set of reasons, but I would definitely change it from where it it was to where it probably should be.
2: So just to put that in perspective, I'm just going to look down here. I ranked that my top subclass. You ranked it, looks like, fifth fourth. Fifth.
0: Well, I had a tie for one,
2: right? So... Sixth? You ranked it sixth.
0: Yeah, well, but I had a tie for one,
2: and... The only one that was lower than the Monster Slayer was the Beastmaster.
0: That ranked so low for me, because I was considering where I felt I would feel comfortable playing it, and I wasn't finding a game that I wanted to play it in. And as such, I wasn't finding a situation where I felt that it would be, I have DMs that would work for, but I just, it, it wasn't showing up as something I really wanted to play. And that's why it ranks so low, so low. So this discussion has really altered the, man, now there's a game that I would love to play that character. I'm not even going to get a chance to, but that now bugs me. So I would certainly change that element of moving on from the monster slayer which is the last of the xanathar's uh rangers we're going to jump right into the latest and greatest book tasha's cauldron of everything and this is where i found something that to me became my biggest surprise of this ranking it's not the first one we're going to talk about but we'll get there so first we're going to talk about the fey wanderer this is a great subclass in my opinion and part of that is and I've mentioned this before and I will mention it again until it is no longer true. We have not enough fey material in the game of 5e and I love fey content and I'm thinking the more player options that include fey that requires on an official capacity the game to design more fey material whether that be adventure paths or monsters or uh, adventure modules, or gear, or whatever the case may be, but more Fae, more times, please. Yep. And More Fae,
2: more of the time, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think that the Fae Wanderer really does this well. They could scale better, but they at least scale, and a spell list that is quite good. I think it really does the job here. And then the piece that I really love the most about this is the Fae Blessings. And we don't go in our rankings into a lot of specific detail, but I will here if you allow me this brief pause. There are a number of items on a little table. You can roll for select it at your option, which are basically something different or flavorful about your specific Fae Wanderer that is unique and follows you all the time. And it could be you smell like cinnamon or... Uh, uh, all the time, and, and and all these types of things that are so thematic, where it's just, yep. wow, that's how you build in flavor to your to your subclass. Notice none other before this had anything like that, where there's something just different about you as a subclass than any other subclass. I think Wizards needs to take note of that and start putting charts like this appropriate for their subclasses in all of their subclasses. And Absolutely. I would even say, revisit some of your old, you just did a book that revisited all your old classes, throw this in for every subclass. I,
2: th- I thought that this subclass was less, less niche than a lot of the other subclasses. Uh, and it was far more useful. And the narrative connection, between the the mechanics of running one and the story behind what the Fey Wanderers are, uh, that was a really really strong connection.
1: And I got to jump right in there and agree too. I think that what this one does that the other ones didn't is it created a very specific environment and area flavor of the Feywild. Put it into this character. But didn't tie him to that environment to make him restricted to only playing there. They that's added the awesome flavor of Fay, but left him versatile throughout the world. You know, if they could revisit the Gloomstalker as an example and find a way to add benefits that would make him awesome at night because of his time in the Underdark, yeah. but spread him out more. Yeah. That's the way that I think that they need to go. Wizards should be looking at their at their classes when they come up with specifics to be flavor without limiting.
2: Imagine the Gloomstalker, where instead of being so flavored towards the Underdark, the Gloomstalker is flavored towards Shadowfell, and now you have a winner.
1: That would be amazing, you're absolutely right. If they did the same thing of Fey with Shadowfell.
2: And,
0: and uh, I, to, to go right along with it, I think that's what makes this a winner, is you've got a character subclass that represents an environment that brings that environment with him wherever he goes. Yeah, you take, instead of
2: having to go there to be effective.
0: Yeah. You right. take a Fae Wanderer and you bring him to Icewind Dale and he's bringing some Fae <laughs> with
1: him. Now you've got a Ranger, which is already cool. But yeah. everywhere you go, you've got this unique piece that you can add to your role-playing.
0: Absolutely. And and you know, um, I, I, I envision um, a strange, even human, uh, very human character that has, like, odd antlers or something weird about their totally. eye structure that would or what have be cool. you in and, yeah. and, and there you know and, and like just walking through the the snow or coming out of the mists of the snow and where he walks like i don't know like and it's just flavor like and it's literally just where he steps like flowers flowers spring up flowers spring up and then as he steps away from that and within a few moments it goes back to whatever the environment was like just yeah. like a little bit of the feywild is everywhere he steps
1: yeah, you yeah. Know? And not even like wilted flowers they're just Fade out of existence.
0: Exactly, like they go back to the Feywild.
1: It's that's like, awesome. like
0: where he walks, Amazing. the Feywild is with him. And I think that that's the kind of thing that really makes this class sing. And honestly, my the number one class that I want to play next is this one. uh I have designs on a Gloomstalker because I think it'd be cool in certain types of games. I'm waiting for the right game where a Gloomstalker will be like, that's the one I want to do. But this one, any game, if they're missing a ranger, this is probably the next one I play.
2: All right. We have one more in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. This is one that when I first read the description, Liyuanika, you and I were talking offline about this one uh, a little bit ago. This one lost a lot of points for me in the do I want to play this character, right? Um, I'm talking about the Swarm Keeper. And the reason why is because if you read the description, they specifically describe them as... Outcasts, hermits, keeping to themselves and their attendant swarms rather than dealing with the discomfort of others. If you read the description of a ranger in the player's handbook, this subclass is directly in contrast with all the things that a ranger who becomes an adventurer would want to do. And so it's almost like the description of this subclass is saying, oh, no, this isn't an adventurer ranger. This is the ranger that sits in the hut by himself in the forest and he keeps to his swarm because he doesn't like dealing with outsiders. And they and, and he, he doesn't like, you know, he doesn't want the city folk that are coming to him and trying to figure out he's not going to guide them through the mountains or anything like that. Like that's it. it, it he, this character is not going to do that and so my, the question that i had here is why would a hermit or an outcast become an adventurer and until i can wrap my head around that question this isn't a subclass that i want to play i get you on that josh and i guess
0: the easiest way for me to, to disagree with you is to say i didn't even pick up on that i started reading read straight to the mechanics and was uh surprised by a couple factors in fact this was the uh this was the subclass that surprised me the most in its, in, in its mechanical uh, aspects. Uh, and I blew past that entirely. I guess I would simply play this and disregard that bit of text and flavor altogether. That's just simply put, I would ignore all of that and play it differently. Yeah. And I guess because I hadn't read that piece or I didn't pick up on that piece, that's why I liked it as much as I did because I ranked this a lot higher than I originally thought I would. Like, I actually kind of, in my head, had a pre-ranking. Then I went through the material and altered my opinions based on what I yeah. read and what I thought about and research. And I, I was supremely impressed by one mechanical thing, so much so that it actually made me downgrade the Beastmaster as if it couldn't be downgraded worse. <laughs> uh, and, and that's the fact that the Swarm Keeper Swarm does not... Require an action of any kind. Every turn in combat, he simply gets to make it do stuff. Yeah. Period. The Beastmaster should no resource management required. He just gets to do it. And if you think about it in that terms, why would you ever ever play a Beastmaster? Just play a Swarmkeeper and flavor it different. <laughs> That's a Swarmkeeper
1: really... is what a Beastmaster should be, kind of, but with insects instead of a,
0: a, a wolf, exactly, kind of exactly. It, that's what it, should it, be. it should it should be you get to tell them to do stuff and that's a free action.
1: Not even should a free rebuild action. the Beastmaster and make swarms an option for beasts. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: yep. I think you know I kind of ride the line between the two of you. I think it's really cool and it's got a lot of potential flavor. And I could come have fun coming up with a story for why my hermity swarm keeper who lives so reclusively in the woods. Because I could see it happening to a ranger. They spend so much time out there, you know. But coming up with what you're going to do to bring him in, that's a challenging session zero right there. How do you yeah. get that guy that's exactly where into the world again? Yep. So, I mean, you're are, making him too specialized again, unless it's the campaign's kind of designed to bring him out. Why Are you
2: he? not painting yourself into a corner where the Beastmaster isn't going to tend to the wounds of the fighter because that's not what his character would do?
1: Right. Exactly. He doesn't give a crap about the fighter. He just cares but, about his bees. Exactly, exactly.
2: Yep. The poor fighter is bleeding all over his flowers. He's not gonna go ahead and you know, yeah. let the let the fighter die. Look yeah, and I'm I, not tolerating
1: I, you guys in my wilderness until we're done with this. Exactly, so step right. on the flowers. Don't pee on that tree. Yep.
0: And I love your idea of going the idea of make this part of the Beastmaster and make the swarm a fourth option.
1: Then if so you want land, that flavor, air,
0: sea, you can have swarm. It. And, yep. and you can even have aquatic swarm, by the way, because now you've got a school of piranha or whatever. Oh, school or of whatever. fish. You know, <gasps> there, there are so many. A lot many, of
1: dolphins.
0: Yep. Uh, well, that's
1: uh, a little uh, big to be a swarm.
0: Yeah. How about you know, uh, a... F- piranha. A yeah. flock uh, 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 a flock of... A murder of crows. Uh, I wasn't going to... I was really trying not to go with the 80s throwback. We do that a lot, but yeah. Crabs. I, I miss it.
1: I, I was going to say crabs. crabs. Think back to, like... Fishing yeah. clams out of the lagoon yeah. on Fisher's Island and then picking at your ankles, you know, if
2: you crabs over it. A, yeah. a, swar- a swarm of leeches. <laughs> yeah, a swarm Ooh, of leeches. Even
1: worse. Yeah. Um, right? Whatever oh. the,
0: whatever uh, a bunch of bats, uh they're not called flocks, I forget what bats are called in a large groups. Could you Dance. imagine could you imagine playing some form of Revenant uh uh revenant swarm keeper and have bats there, it's almost like you're om- just this side of a vampire at that point. Right. Well
2: um, I was gonna say, like you could have like the- you could have your swarm keeper, bat keeper with your monster hunter who's killing vampire. You know, like that's dresses
1: oh, yeah. in stylized black leather armor with a cowled hood and says, I'm the bat ranger.
2: <laughs> <laughs> could be.
0: Could that's be bad. I like that it's
1: terrible. Bad. It was pretty yeah. bad, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: It, it yeah. might be one of the worst ones yet.
2: so i think that this is a good time to go ahead and say that clearly we have a lot of ideas on how to fix the rangers in 5e we have tossed out a bunch of them uh and we actually are starting to put together a full episode on how to go ahead and fix the rangers where we're going to go into a lot more detail in all this stuff so be watching for that in the next couple of weeks here um let's get some final thoughts lee wanika I guess in final
0: thought, I, I have to say I was surprised by how well ranger subclasses work in the right under the right circumstances. Um, I, I think I thought originally stepping into this that most ranger class, subclasses were, were trash. They were not useful uh, other than the few I have some contact with. I really wouldn't ever want to play them. But my research has really led me to believe that um, I think unlike any other class in the game, rangers are as a whole the subclass is so specific that you just have to figure out what you're doing and when and then you're going to have something that could be fun and useful i suspect that that means rangers in general are better than i originally gave them credit for when i first started playing 5e two and a half years ago um that's a positive on the negative side there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make these very useful when we do that that fix the ranger class episode. We're not only going to have the discussion, we also plan to have some of our fixes prepared and available to see our fixes. So that's something that you and the audience will have the opportunity to uh, definitely take a look at in some fashion or another.
2: Uh, I am going to slightly disagree with your positives. I still think that for the most part, the subclasses not only are highly specialized, but are not are not good. So I'll just leave it at that.
1: (laughs) Glenn, your thoughts? I'm going to kind of land in the middle. I, I guess I'm the middle. <laughs> so, Shocking. Rangers have been one of my favorite classes since I first read their description out of the player's handbook. They used to be my go-to character. And I got to say, I am very disappointed with the treatment that 5e has given them, but I could still get behind it. Uh, with one very notable exception of crappiness. Beastmaster! <coughs> excuse me. Um <laughs> I could play any of the other ones in the right setting and have a great time with it. But I very much believe in uh, bringing my characters to life and having fun with them no matter what they are. I'll pick some weird quirk that's fun to roleplay even if I suck in combat, whatever. But I could see myself getting behind the eyes of either a Fae Wanderer or a Monster Slayer running that Van Helsing style and rocking that out for an entire campaign. And that could be a good time. Um, so I could definitely see a Ranger and my players in my playing future.
2: And I I, uh, I hope that uh, people out there who are listening to us saying, oh, I can't believe how wrong they are, say something, because we would love to go ahead and have this conversation uh, and further prove our point. There's a lot of math behind what we did here. So well, Pat, um,
1: we welcome you to prove us wrong. Give yeah, us your please. opinion. We'll give it an honest shot. Don't take Absolutely. that as we're already bent. We're going to listen <laughs> and we'd love to talk about it. That might turn into like an ongoing conversation. Yeah.
2: You can go directly to the website at www.ttjourneys.com. I'd love to go ahead and talk to you on Twitter. That's at TT or you can go join the Facebook group. If you just search for Tabletop Journeys, you'll find it there. Otherwise, you can go ahead and email us, and the best address would be podcast at ttjourneys.com.
0: Additionally, you can subscribe to our podcast, Tabletop Journeys, on Stitcher, iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible. Be sure to leave us likes and comments. We welcome both. And, of course, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe.
1: And this has been Tabletop Journeys. Thank you very much for listening. We can't wait to interact with you as part of our community, so reach out.
2: And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.